Venturing Voices provides a platform for women in South Carolina who get shit done. I'm Nell Fuller, the co-founder of FemX Columbia and Fem Capital, and each week I'll dive deeper into the stories of inspirational women who make an impact in the Columbia community and beyond. Welcome back to Venturing Voices. This is Nell Fuller, and I'm excited to have Rhonda Dean today on our podcast. Rhonda is the CEO and founder of Afaxis Pharmaceuticals based in Charleston, and we're excited to have her here today to learn a little bit more about her journey and for her to share how she got here and built this huge high-impact public health um, pharmaceutical company. So hi, Rhonda. Hello, Nell. Great to meet you. And thank you very much for the invitation to be here. I really appreciate it, actually. It's going to be fun to talk with you again mm -hmm. and also to talk a little bit about Avaxis, which, yes, you described it accurately. I'm the CEO and founder, actually co-founder of Avaxis. We are a mission-driven, socially conscious business located in Charleston. And um, what's unique about us is that we were created to be a first-of-its-kind healthcare company, inspired by a public health crisis. We partner with public health providers, community health providers across the country to make sure they always can afford products and services they need reliably, stable low pricing, so they can focus on caring for their patients, um, especially in the sexual and reproductive health category. If it's okay with mm -hmm. you, um, I'd like to kind of give you a little bit more background about me personally because it did, I think, kind of play into the story of where Afaxis kind of went. Yeah. And um, and it is, I, I didn't realize it, but it's venturing-like. Mm -hmm. And so if you're okay, yes? Would love it. Okay. So um, I grew up small town in Ohio, a working class family. And, um, you know, like a lot of families in our town, we struggled to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, I loved science mm -hmm. and was one of those geeky kind of you know kids that loved it in the lab and I thought well what am I going to do if I love science I thought I know I'll be a nurse or maybe a doctor so I did volunteer work in a local nursing home and then in a hospital in the city nearby and I'm telling you that was when the passion it kind of hit me I knew healthcare was it for mm -hmm. me um, at the same time um, I was also a patient of a public health provider in our area. And I got to see up close and personal the kind of health care you get. And I don't just mean the quality, which of course is good, right. but compassionate health care. And so I think that was very formative as well. Um, went on to college, uh, studied science there. Microbiology was my focus. So my first career out of college was a clinical microbiologist. Okay. Um, I worked in a large hospital, um, and I worked in infectious disease. Okay. And I took care of AIDS patients in those very early decades of the crisis. So, so I saw how patients sometimes are not always treated the same. Right. And that, again, was very formative. Some of those differences would be expected, like based on condition, of course. Right. Um, sometimes it was age. That also made sense. But sometimes it was gender or sexual orientation or race. And that, to me, just left an impression. Let me just kind of, you know, I think leave it at that. Right. After that, I transitioned in the business of healthcare. Uh, I worked for a large pharmaceutical company. And the last job I had with them was running the women's health division. Okay. 
and it was like someone parted the you know the curtains on the stage and it all opened up for me and I my feminism and my support of reproductive health rights all came together mm -hmm. when we were making contraceptives available to patients across the country after that I left and went to work for Planned Parenthood mm -hmm. three years in New York City my job was to figure out a way to make sure contraceptives were always affordable okay prices were escalating very very quickly public health providers not just Planned Parenthood, but the thousands and thousands of them across the country could not afford to buy them reliably whenever they needed them. So my job was to figure out how to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. The solution became a company separate from Planned Parenthood, dedicated to serving public health providers and everyone else who falls into that category. So it could be a county health department, student health center to college, federally qualified health center, anyone, to make sure they didn't have to worry about being able to afford reliable access to contraceptives. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially the essence of who we are, making access to reproductive and sexual health care available for everyone. Right. So talk to me a little bit about when you, when you started, you started... Um, microbiology, you went into patient care. Were you doing both at the time? So you worked in infectious disease in the microbiology lab. Were you yes. also doing patient care alongside that? So I worked with supporting the head of infectious disease, mm -hmm. who was a physician, and when he would do rounds in the hospital, seeing all the patients, because by the time you're being cared for, the infectious disease departments are pretty sick. Right. And so we would go bedside with him as he would do rounds. Okay. He would take samples of various, whatever happened to be the patient's illness, we would then bedside, um, take those samples back to the laboratory, and then help him identify what was causing the infection and what um, antibiotics to use to treat it. That's incredible, because I think often you don't get that, um, you know, both of those perspectives. You're either in the lab and you don't have that human connection or your direct patient care. Do you think that played a role in, in your development of, um, I guess, the social impact approach to your company? I think so. I think because um, I've sat in a lot of waiting rooms over the last 25 years, mm -hmm. public health providers, community health centers, and um, you know, elbow to elbow, wait, because you're, you're waiting to see whoever you know, you're going to visit with, and you're there with the patients. And I see myself. I was that patient right. when I was young. And so I, I, it does. It, I think not only do I recognize them because I see me, but then I also see the patients that I cared for when I worked in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So you're building this business um, while you're working for Planned Parenthood. You saw the problem in the market. Contraceptives were not affordable. How did you make the, how did, I guess, how did you make the leap from this is a problem I need to fix it to I have the solution to fix it? Did you have industry expertise around pricing of contraceptives or working with health insurance companies? Because I know there's a million different moving parts to how the contraceptive or the medication gets to the patient. So my, my experience in the pharmaceutical industry was very mm -hmm. commercial in its orientation, so you do appreciate all the levers that right. go about making products available to market, so that helped a lot. Mm -hmm. But I am no, I'm not a brilliant, I'm not brilliant. It took a lot of people all coming together. We hired consultants who were experts in the various areas to help us sort it out. Okay. So we just re, I always say we, deconstructed and then reconstructed the model so that we could figure out a way to do it affordably. Okay. So when, um, 
you were building the model. Talk about, you know, the, the aha moment. Was there a particular moment when the light bulb went off and it clicked as you were building the company and talking to the consultants? I guess maybe where, like, you knew this can really happen. Because I think often, hmm. I mean, at least for me growing a business, it was like, I can do this and you're doing all this fun stuff, but there's that like wall here where you're like, can I really get over that final wall, you know, and like make it actually happen, bring it all to reality. You know, I think it's bit by bit. Mm -hmm. So you starting your business, I know when I, I, I was, I'd never started a business before and neither had my co-founder, Susan Overlay. So we, you know, I think you, I took it in bit, we took it bits and pieces yeah. and broke it into small parts, parts that were digestible. And each one then, I think of a jigsaw puzzle, they came together little bits at a time. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are many hurdles and many obstacles that you'll face along the way. But I do think each one of them, you, you, you can't panic. Right. Kind of, you pause and you take a deep breath and you start, you gotta be able to think it through. And you know, I've spent a lot of, I've had some you know, weepy moments and some <laughs> sheer panic at other times. But at the end of the day, if you, if you use your resources, the people you know in your networks who have experience, who have been through things that are similar, you know, there are a lot of people who want you to be successful. Right. So for me, I don't know that it was one aha moment, mm -hmm. but it was a series of aha moments and the ability to pivot mm -hmm. when you need to, when because you, you're not panicking, to take a step back and breathe, then I think it gives you the opportunity. Afaxis is different mm -hmm. than where we started 13 years ago. So we had to take it one step at a time and look at the landscape around us. I often talk about like antenna that you constantly have up uh -huh. and you listen for the things you need to hear. And if you don't hear it, sometimes that's as important as the things you do hear. Right. And then being able to parse it apart and understand what's happening around you that may need you to pivot. Right. I love that idea of the, the bit by bit. Um, because it does, you know, to your point, it doesn't all come together easily. You know, you take each small chunk and it, it does all add up to, to something. Because, <laughs> so talk a little bit about what some of the biggest changes were. So you started the company and then you mentioned now it's a kind of a different beast. What were some of the biggest changes? Well, um, we have a lot more products than I thought we were going to have. We started out thinking we we're going to have five, and we mm -hmm. actually now have 13. Wow. Um, which is a wow, because that was not where we started. Um, actually, our first product was launched in 2013, coincidentally. And um, today we have close to 28 million months of contraceptive coverage that we have made available through providers so they can then make it available to their patients. This makes us the number one provider of contraceptives to clinics in the U.S. public health system. Um, but that's not all that we do. We also have a group purchasing organization. Okay. And what that is for your listeners who don't know, it's we just take all of our members, of which we have about 1,500 of them, mm -hmm. we group them together in like a buying group, and then we use their power collectively to get volume-based discounts, to bring the price down on all the things we don't make. Right. So things like exam tables, stethoscopes, PPE. Right. Um, so that is, as you can see, we kind of had to weave together what I consider a much more holistic approach to supporting community and public health providers across the country. So like everybody, during COVID, we had to stop and pivot and make sure that we were all able to address this global pandemic. 
and still do our jobs and still stay in line with our own mission and vision for a company. So talk a little bit about how Afaxis approached the COVID pandemic. Well, like all healthcare companies, we were impacted. Um, obviously, all of us individually um, could not avoid COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so I, what I noticed was um, for us, we it became very clear how critically important community health centers, public health providers were to the healthcare system. They stepped up. They were doing, you know, COVID testing and now COVID vaccinations. And so we needed to be there for them, mm -hmm. which made us step up our game. And what we found is that things that we already had underway were kind of percolating in the background. We had to put them on warp speed and right. get them going. So for instance, telehealth provision, that really took off during COVID. Mm -hmm. And so what we needed to do was say, okay, how are we going to get our products to the patient, to consumers? So we had to figure out a direct-to-consumer availability that we could get products to them wherever they are, wherever they wanted them delivered. So, so what I think of with COVID is it accelerated innovation to some degree yeah. while we were protecting patients and ourselves. Right. And you know what's so interesting with contraceptives? That's been on the table for quite a while, telehealth visits, and there was all this holdup and this hesitation, and can we do this for contraceptives? Mm -hmm. And then I think it's interesting that, you know, COVID hit, and everyone's like, okay, fine. Like, it's, you know, care provision, we can telehealth it. You know, and it all just kind of happened. I think it's something that we've been fighting for for quite a while. <laughs> I think so, and I think, depending on the methodology, you know, if it is a, a, a product that does not require intervention by a healthcare practitioner, like a, a long-acting reversible contraceptive, right. um, telehealth worked. You know, yeah. if it was an oral contraceptive, emergency contraceptive, um, all of them, it, the providers figured out a way to make them available. Mm -hmm. um, and then for women or patients who needed long-acting methodologies, they may not have been able to get them in the early stages of COVID, but everybody, they gave them short-term treatment to get them, hold them over, and then they came back. So it's all good. Yeah, that's wonderful. And it's, it's great that you guys were able to be at the forefront of that and really help drive that innovation. Um, so talk a little bit about the critics along the way. I'm sure you had critics along the way. How did you overcome that? Um, as I said, our, uh, Susan, my mm -hmm. co-founder and I, she, um, neither of us had ever started a business before. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we were a bit overwhelmed and, um, I don't know if I would call him a critic, but you know, we both went back into our, our networks okay. to talk to the people who had been helpful to us along the way. And one of those mentors I, I was speaking with one day and after we had worked together, he then really focused on what I want to call the being more typically defined as a venture capital kind of person. Okay. He would do a lot of angel investing in startup companies. And he pushed back really hard. Like, you know, why are you doing this? You know, when, when I invest money in businesses, it's to make money. And, and serving patients, the model you're talking about, doesn't sound like you're going to make a lot of money. So why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And we went round <laughs> and round on this debate. And finally, I just, you know, kind of, you know, I remember just looking him in the eyes and saying, because it needs to be done. There are patients who need this. Public health providers need to be the primary focus of someone. Right. And it's going to be us. Now, he was right. Mm -hmm. It was challenging to mm -hmm. find investors who wanted to invest in a business because it is not your typical 
approach. Right. We don't prioritize profits. Now, when I say that, what I mean is we run a healthy business and, and we do invest in you know, new opportunities along the way, but profit is not our motive. Right. And I think that does make it a little difference. We have to look for social impact investors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had to talk to a lot of people, thread the needle to find them. I often joke, you know, we had to kiss a lot of toads to find the prince or princess that was going to be involved with us, share our values, Mm -hmm. share our mission, make the funds available to finance us so that we could then take our business forward. They were patient with their returns. They didn't expect as high of a return as my mentor did. So it all came together in that kind of perfect package. Right. Can you, do you have a a kind of funny, a funny story at all around the critics or, you know, a a moment where somebody just really didn't get it and it was like, that's not what I'm trying to do. He might've been it. He might've been it. Yeah, because it was pretty funny. We sat at this restaurant and, and I had taken him out to dinner because I wanted his perspective. And we literally kept arguing at the table. And the waiter at one point came up, turned around and walked away again. I think he thought we were in some sort of spat, you know, like a like you have it when you're involved with someone. And so we obviously needed to take it down a notch. <laughs> are, other, are other companies like this popping up? Where, so it sounds like you were the first one of this kind. Um, Globally or in the in the U.S.? Or? I don't know about globally. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., we were the first. And I don't know if there are any others who have the full spectrum of functions like we do. So okay. we not only commercialize drugs, but we also develop them. Wow. And so that's a kind of a soup-to-nuts approach. I, do, I think there's one other company that I do know of that de- does the development side okay. in a similar kind of, mo- kind of mind space, but um, they don't do commercial like we do. Okay. What's been the impact? Oh, like I said, 27, almost 28 million months of contraception has been made available. Lots of people um, who have now been on the receiving end of getting care at reproductive health providers that may not have been there had we not been able to keep the prices low. I think when I take a step back, what I look at is, you know, the crisis is 30 million people get their health care from public health providers every year right. in the U.S. And they rely on a group of health care providers who are dependent on uncertain funding streams, whether it be government funding or small donations or grants from foundations. And that uncertainty makes every year the budget like just a little, un, you know, like a little frightening. Right. And so some of them struggle to even keep their doors open. So for me, when I think about our impact, our impact is is really twofold. One, we help them keep their doors open so they then can turn around and care for the patients who come to them for not only sexual and reproductive health care services, but other vital health care services they may need. We also, when I, when I think of myself sitting in those waiting rooms with them, I see those patients, and what I, what I see is that Afaxis is giving each and every one of them, the freedom to make their own decisions about what's gonna happen with their sexual and reproductive health life. Not just women, as we traditionally define them now, right? It's cisgender women, trans men, anyone on the LGBTQ plus community, that everyone deserves to have the same support 
and they need to find a place to be able to do that where they feel at home and they belong. Mm -hmm. And our job is to make sure those providers are there to care for them. Wow. So the biggest impact personally for you along this journey? Hmm. This journey has not been short, so I'm going to have to go back a ways yeah. because it was very formative. Um, earlier in my career, mm -hmm. I had the very good fortune and privilege to meet Justice Harry Blackman. And for your listeners who may not know who that is, he was the, he now unfortunately uh, deceased, but a Supreme Court justice that authored the majority opinion on Roe v. Wade. And when I met him, I was interviewing him, like you're interviewing me. Wow. And I asked him what inspired him to uh, write the opinion that he did about abortion. And he said, quietly, he was very understated, it wasn't about abortion. And I, and I thought, wait, of course it was about abortion. And he, and he said it was actually about privacy, that for him, women should have the same right across all of their healthcare decisions to make those decisions privately, just like men do. And that his fear was that should one decision be parsed off and that no longer became a private decision, that it was more or less a slippery slope and that what is the next decision and then the next one and the next one until all of our rights could potentially be stripped away from us. And so healthcare, as far as he was concerned, was about privacy rights. And that really was the formative nature of that opinion. Wow. I think that's something we forget along the way. And it, it is what reminds me every day. What we do at Afaxis is make sure that everyone has the ability to make a private decision about their sexuality and their reproductive health life. But the only way to do that is to make sure we keep the cost of health care as low as we can so that providers can afford it so they can care for those patients. What did you interview him for? Was it for... Well, he had won an award, okay. uh, an award that my company that I used to work for sponsored. It was okay. Achievements in Women's Health. And he had been given the award that year. And of course, given who he was, he didn't travel. And he was much older. This was after he was retired. And so he didn't move out into this, uh, you know, the public arena very often later in his you know, life. Mm -hmm. And so we brought the award ceremony to him. Okay. So that's why I was sitting there when we made the award presentation and I got to interview him as a function of that. That's wonderful. Um, and so that makes me think of my next question to you. Running this company a million miles an hour a lot of the time, what do you do for, for self-care, to calm down, to de-stress in those oh, moments? Um, walk on the beach. Mm -hmm. uh, ride my bike. I'm a cyclist, so I, I cycle. I, I, I get some of my best ideas while I'm cycling. I think the repetitive motion of the pedals is very helpful. Um, meditate. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of yoga stretches in the morning. Um, love on my dog. You know, she gives me a lot of love back. Great people in my life, too, that I'm very fortunate to enjoy, and I think I get to separate myself sometimes and breathe deeply with mm -hmm. them. So I feel very fortunate. I've got a great support network around me. Great. Um, so then one question we like to talk about with all of our guests is the idea of venturing and to venture. And so, you know, to venture is to put yourself out there at the risk of rebuff or getting turned down or failure, you know, the big failure that um, seems to always be looming in the back dark corners when you're starting a business. Why do you continue to venture? You know, I, I think um, when I was young, I don't know that I was a venturer. I'm embarrassed to say. I wish I had been. I'd have more of them under my belt. 
I think it came for me confidence. And I think what I mean with that confidence is, you know, venturing requires risk tolerance and the ability to take a step forward. Maybe when people are telling you, you might be a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> and I think with, with those risks, sometimes you succeed, sometimes you don't. Right. And, but I think you also learn with, with failure comes learning and usually love people who love you come and help care for you during those times. And with that comes confidence, and, and then you try something else, and then there's more successes, more failures. It's somewhat cyclic. And with those cycles, you gain more confidence. And so for me, my venturing probably started midlife. Okay. And midlife venturing, I, now I seek out what I call virgin opportunities because mm -hmm. um, things I've never done before, I, I, it's almost addictive. It's a, a sense of sensation that you get when you get to charge forward and to do something you've never done. On a recent birthday, I went bungee jumping and went 150 feet down. And I'll never forget, people, some of my friends said, you must be out of your mind. And I, I think that's the spirit of adventure. Some people just say, <laughs> you must be out of your mind. <laughs> oh my gosh, bungee jumping. That's something that, I don't know, I've always said I will never do that. But Oh, I don't know. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, it really was amazing. Yeah, because I mean, you do just jump off into an abyss and you hope do. that everything works. You do. <laughs> Wow, so what's next for you? Well, I'd like to think of this in two parts. A fax is first, if yeah. you don't mind, because mm -hmm. um, we're just getting started. So we have more products we need to get to market. We have more providers to care for, more patients. So that, for me, is very important, is focus on expanding a faxes. Mm -hmm. You know, for me personally, as I described previously, I've had a lot of great mentors. And at this stage of my career, I'd like to do the same because I think we can build future leaders, future achievers. Um, so I guess supporter in chief maybe for you know people along the way who are trying to do something also venturing like yeah. um, and taking a step forward for themselves. So, so those would be, I'd say, the two buckets of things I wanna do next. Yeah, so for a faxist, just to dig a little bit deeper there, um, do you see, I guess from, from your vantage point, a growth in the community health sector with, I mean, I guess it, and I guess where I'm coming from with that is, you know, it's there's such an ebb and flow based on the political climate in our mm -hmm. country at the given moment. But community health has always been there and it will always be there. So do you see, given current administration and expansion of Medicaid and, um, you know, after the global pandemic and expansion of really access to health care for everybody, do you see the community health center continuing to grow and thrive? I do. I do. I think what we, we've come to appreciate if nothing else, because of COVID, just how important they are. And yes, funding streams go up and down, but I think it's all the more reason, you know, a faxis needs to do what it does because we need to support them. And there will be cycles. That's what business is. Healthcare is a business, whether you're doing it for a public health provider or a private community, you know, environment. It's, it's the same, but I've been doing this long enough to see it ebbs and flows just like everything else. Mm -hmm. And it and you just have to be aware and prepared to kind of manage to that flow. Was there anything else you want to share with the audience, Rhonda? Um, well, I think if you're an organization that is focused on ensuring that you know people in the reproductive health or sexual health landscape need to have care, call us. We'd love to partner with you. Um, you know, I think for me personally, you know, 
Afaxis is about equity and inclusion and making sure access to everyone is possible. So I would say, you know, especially where we are in the world today, look for opportunities both at work and at home to build up equity and inclusion as a priority. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe lastly, on a personal note, very fortunate, you know, I fell in love with healthcare when I was a teenager. And while the complexion of how I stayed in that space may have changed over time, mm -hmm. um, I'm more passionate about healthcare than I've ever been. And the fact that I've been able to follow my passion is a true gift. So I would say follow your passion. This has been so inspiring. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this. I think that the biggest takeaway, why I love to do this podcast every week is to hear everyone's reason for venturing. I think it provides, you know, you get beat down throughout the week and then I get to talk to a new person and get inspired all over again. So thank you so much for your lifelong commitment to equity and healthcare. And um, we just... We hope you keep doing it forever, Rhonda. Thank you. Let's yeah. stay in touch. All right, I will. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back next Friday. Tuning in to Venturing Voices. We're excited to release a new podcast every Friday, which can be found on our website at femxcolumbia.com forward slash Venturing Voices. We look forward to you tuning in next week and introducing you to another badass woman. Thanks so much.